Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. How many of you know that many people don't understand fully the value of faith in our lives? I want to continue with speaking about the importance and the value of faith this morning and looking at our series, Living a Life of Ever-Increasing Faith. We don't just want to believe in God, we want to increase in our confidence in Him, our trust in Him, and we want to continue to believe Him for not just material things in our lives, but great things to be done in us and through us. I read a discouraging article, a standard British textbook, right up till 1969, a book on psychiatry, that is, They said that religion, and this is to quote them, is for the hesitant, the guilt-ridden, the excessively timid, those lacking clear convictions, and those, uh, sorry, lacking clear convictions with which to face life. The implication, it said, was this, faith selects the weak and is probably bad for your health. I mean, you know, that's not true. But people believe this kind of thing, and Sigmund Freud even went as far as to say that faith is a neurosis. But I was reading that researchers at the famous Mayo Clinic, and they do a lot of work with different kinds of people and do credible studies, they they said that most studies have shown that religious involvement and spirituality are associated with better health outcomes, including greater longevity, coping skills, and health-related quality of life. You can even have a health-related, they say, even during terminal illness, you can have a health quality of life through faith. There's less anxiety through faith, less depression, and less suicide. And several studies have also shown that addressing the spiritual needs of the patient may enhance recovery from illness. Despite common opinion, faith is good for you. Faith honors God, and God honors faith. And faith is powerful, fear kills, but faith brings life. Can you say amen? And it unlocks the power of God. It brightens our dark lives. It makes seen what's not seen It believes for the best, never gives up. It speaks positively. It speaks encouragingly. It expects solutions. It sees a better future. It sees a way past challenges. And it sees God in everything, not just the problems. I read this story some time back, and I want to repeat it to you. You, Some of you may remember it about a man, a Polish man, by the name of Jan Grybski. And uh, he worked on the railways. And uh, in 1988, he fell into a coma. Here's the weird thing, you know, a lot of people were in coma, maybe a year long, he was in a coma for 19 years. And uh, he woke up in 2007 and recovered, and, and the communists were no longer in power, everything had changed, no more rations on food and petrol, and uh, the doctors had given him three years to live, they said he would die. They thought he'd been hit on the head, but actually he, he hadn't, he had, a, he had a tumor in his head, and while he was in hospital, it shrunk. But they believe it's his wife's faith that shrunk the tumor. Because she went in for 19 years every single day and every hour turned him so he wouldn't get bed sores. And he finally recovered and he, he commented, you know, there was only tea and, vin- and vinegar in the shops when I went to sleep. And now I woke up and the whole world's changed. And to quote him, he said, what amazes me is all these people who walk around with their mobile phones and never stop moaning. I've got nothing to cl- complain about, he said. Her faith, your faith on behalf of someone else can make a big difference. And so we need to understand that faith can help us and enable us to overcome challenges. And before I get into the five things I want to give you today to grow your faith, I want to encourage you because many people are facing challenges. And you can sit in a meeting like this near faith teaching and you go, yeah, but you don't know my situation. 
I want to remind you of a truth this morning. It'll come up on the screen. Everyone is either in a challenge, just come through one, or getting ready to go into one. That's the nature of life. What we need to do is overcome our challenges by ever increasing faith, not ever diminishing faith. Can you say amen? And life is not straightforward. How many of you know on, your, on the way to your dreams, there's many detours? And so if you see detours, don't think that God's not involved in it or that he's letting you down or that something is getting in the way. I read about the Burma Road that was built in the 1950s. Interesting road between Myanmar and China. Those days it was called Burma. And they built this road. 200,000 Chinese workers built this road. But it's not a straight road. It's got curves. And in fact, it's got S-bends every 0.15 of a kilometer. So here's the thing. If you want to travel four kilometers in that direction, you've got to go 16 kilometers like this. And the road to your dreams is often filled with S-bends, but you think you're not getting there. Just trust God and keep going. Keep going. And you'll get to your destination. It's never straightforward. And God wants us to live by faith. Without faith, we cannot do anything. Martin Luther said it, he said, God our Father has made all things depend on faith, so that whoever has faith will have everything, whoever does not have faith will have nothing. Jesus, in commending the church in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, and I believe this needs to be us, he says, I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and perseverance. So Jesus sees what's going on in our lives, he says, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Is your faith increasing? Is it decreasing? I believe it should be increasing. Rivers Church should not feel like we've arrived. We should be people of ever-increasing faith, believing for bigger things, greater things, and extending the kingdom. Let me give you some things this morning, and uh, five things I want to give you, the number of man's weakness. Uh, I want to give them to you, and we'll spend time on number one, so don't wonder if we're going to get finished. We will. I promise thee that we shall finish. But number one will be long. And I want to look at the first one is this. Recognize the six main enemies of faith. If you can recognize the enemies of faith, you're on your way to growing your faith. And this will be simple, but I believe if you respond to it, it will be profound. Number one, the first enemy of faith is feelings of fear. They say when you haven't got any more feeling, you're dead. But if you've got heightened feelings, you're in danger. Because you're too sensitive and you start to live by feelings, not by faith. Rick Warren, in speaking about this topic, said your emotions are susceptible to all kinds of influences, so they're often unreliable. Remember that when dating. Just thought I'd throw that in. Often what we feel is neither real nor right. Your emotional state can be the result of memories, hormones, medicines, food. Pizza, like pizza at night, lack of sleep, tensions, or fears. Listen, if you eat a pizza and then you have a dream, I'd be careful if I take it as guidance, eh? especially pepperoni. People dream, oh, I saw that person, I must marry them. No, feelings are dangerous, but feelings of fear can overcome you. It's too risky. We won't get it right. What happens if it goes wrong? Okay, I'm not going to do it. If you live a life without any risk, you're living a life without any faith, and a life without any risk or any faith is boring. So you've got to overcome feelings of fear because faith is not based on feelings. It's based on the promises of God, which are stable regardless of feelings. D.L. Moody, the great Bible teacher, said, Obedience means marching right on whether we feel like it or not. Many times we go against our feelings. Faith is the one thing 
feeling is another. Now, how do you get rid of feelings of fear? Well, it's not just a case of deciding. You've got to build your faith on the certainties of God. And you've got to know that you know that you know. Too many of you know, but you're not sure. Many of you know that you know, but then you're also not sure. You need to know that you know that you know. And when you know that you know that you know, it creates a confidence in you that removes feelings of fear. Let me give you an example. You can clap. I'll take any clap I'll get. Listen, there was a guy once, and I told this story years ago, and it's powerful, so I think it's in one of my books. It's, it, there was a guy who was traveling uh, on his own through the West, and he got to the Minnesota River, and it was in the deep of winter, and uh, the river was frozen over, and he was completely alone, and he needed to cross the river, but he couldn't gauge how thick the ice was. So he stood there for a long time trying to figure out, should I go, should I, you know, should I go? Anyway, eventually, he decided, I've got to go. I can't stay here. I'll die here. I've got to get across. So he gets down on his hands and knees, you know, walks out of way, and then gets down on his hands and knees, and he's busy creeping along. Next minute, he hears behind him. He's about halfway across. He hears behind him this rumbling sound, and he hears someone singing, and he's like, he's like, He's like gingerly on the ice. He turns around and looks. Here's a guy with a, with a four-horse wagon pulling coal, singing as he goes, barreling across the ice. Well, guess what? After that guy's gone, you're like, what? <laughs> you see, that guy knew that he knew that he knew that the ice was thick enough. And he went barreling along singing. When your faith is strong, you will go through life barreling along singing. Or you'll be creeping gingerly. Feelings of faith, fear, sorry, are an enemy of faith. Number two, the second enemy is the voice of circumstances. How many of you know circumstances have got a voice? They speak, they shout. Sometimes circumstances have a voice that shouts so loud it drowns out the voice of God. And we look at fear, circumstances with feelings of fear, and these are the enemies of faith. The well-known story from Luke chapter 5 of the four paralytic men uh, I talk extensively about this in my book, Finding a Way to Win, but remember the four men in Luke's gospel, they brought their friend to Jesus, and the circumstances were shouting. I want to read just a few verses here, Luke 5 and verse 18. It says, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house. Notice that, tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could find, sorry, could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, I love this, they went up on the roof. And load him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. It's like, oh, the door's closed, we can't get in. Okay, next time. Hey, these actually go on the roof, they take the tiles off the roof. I mean, if that was your house, you'd be, what are you doing? But I love this. Notice this, this is the key. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. You see, they didn't let the circumstances dictate. Never drive up South Road and the traffic is queued around the corner and, no, we won't get in. Let's go up to Tasha's and eat. No. <laughs> that will not build faith. You need to believe that when you get to the front that you'll tell them, I know the gate's closed, but I was in the queue. And by the way, when the gate is locked, don't send emails and complain. Just take a weekend and go visit another church where chaos reigns. And then come back and write me a thank you email. (laughs) 
George Bernard Shaw was an Irish cultural commentator. He said, the people who get on in this world are the people who get up and, up and look for the circumstances they want. And if they can't find them, they make them. If you get, are ruled by the voice of circumstances, an enemy of faith, your faith will never increase. So the feelings of fear, the voice of circumstances, and number three, natural reasoning. Natural reasoning is an enemy of faith. Logic, natural wisdom, common sense, which is not so common, education, experience, books by unregenerate people, those who want physical evidence, those who deny the faith will be an enemy of your faith. Billy Graham said this, he said, I do not understand the digestive system, but I eat. I don't understand all about the respiratory system, but I continue to breathe. So it is with faith. Is that not the truth? You don't have to understand everything. Now, you think of Thomas, he was one of the 12, you'd expect him to believe, but you know, the rest of the disciples believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, but Thomas chose to live by his senses and natural reasoning. We read it in John chapter 20, and it's important for us to read scripture, easy for me just to quote it. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. I love this. Then he said to Thomas, my question would be, is like, why is he singling him out? Imagine Jesus appears and then he comes over to you. But scary, eh? Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Surely that's us. We've not seen and yet believed. You should put your name in there. Blessed is who's not seen and yet believed. And so we don't live by natural reasoning, by logic. By, we don't determine faith by senses. It's an enemy of faith. You have to determine by the promises of God and by the word of God. Charles Kettering was uh, at General Motors in the 1940s and 1950s, very important figure there. And he said this, he says, when I was research head of General Motors and I wanted a problem solved, I placed a table outside the meeting room with a sign, leave slide rules here. If I didn't do that, I'd find someone reaching for his slide rule. Then he'd be on his feet saying, boss, you can't do it. <laughs> Interesting, some of you don't know what a slide rule is. For the sake of the young people, it's a ruler that you used to do calculations on. Now you go on Google and you find everything there. <laughs> slide rule would be what engineers use and say, leave it outside because that's not going to help us when we're trying to be creative. It's an enemy of faith just to use natural re reasoning. And even when you're facing difficulties, you can't go to natural reasoning. You've got to do what's practical, and then you've got to go to faith. I read a fascinating story about a man. He would travel up to Greenland and up to the, the cold regions as a medical doctor. His name was Dr. Wilfred Grenfell. He was a medical missionary, and he would travel up and serve people and deliver babies and, 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 and uh, help people. And one day he was up in that area, and uh, he found himself adrift on an ice floe, he stood onto ice and it broke off a big chunk, you know, and he was floating and now up in the middle of nowhere, no one around, and uh, it was heading out to sea and he knew trouble cometh. 
and he had dogs with him, and he killed the dogs you know, in a merciful way. Then he skinned the dogs and covered himself with the skins of the dogs. You know, he's going to die of cold if he didn't do this. And uh, then he put up a distress flag. He tore some of his clothing, put up a dis distress flag. And then he, he says, I lay down and slept. Isn't that interesting? He lay down and slept. And um, he waited and they, they um, rescued him. But when he was found, they asked him, why did you lie down and sleep? And like what he said, he said, there was nothing to fear. I had done all I could. The rest lay in God's hands. See, so you mustn't be stupid, but don't overthink. Do what you can. They say, okay, now I trust you, Lord. But natural reasoning alone is an enemy of faith. Now, before, the fourth enemy of faith is impatience. Impatience. Abraham took Hagar, and from that we learn Ishmael came. So here's the interpretation of that scripture. Don't just jump into bed with someone who suggests it. I'll let that sink in. You want a partner. You want fulfillment. But you need to be patient. You need to trust God that he has someone. And he has it in the right timing. Noah had to wait 120 years. Joseph waited 13 years. Patience is part of what is required. Vance Havner, the late American author and uh, preacher he started by the way he started preaching at 12 years old and he's often quoted he said this he said most of us would live by faith if we knew that the rewards would be forthcoming inside of two weeks isn't that the truth eh? but we've got to live by faith and what's what's required is not just faith but it's faith and patience and the writer to the Hebrews says uh, to those he's writing to we do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised Here's the thing, don't give up, but also don't act in presumption. God's not coming through, so I'll make a plan. No, trust him. Do what you can. And watch out for impatience, because many, many good people have made bad decisions. Even leaders have made, pastors and leaders have made bad decisions, because they've got great faith, but they're impatient. Number five, the fifth enemy of faith. Is this helping you today? Watch this, it's lack of vision. You've got to be careful that you don't get to a place where there's no more vision because then your faith will not be used. And faith is a muscle. If you use it, it grows stronger. If you don't, it falls into disuse and into atrophy. And you've got to be trusting God for something in your life. If you're not trusting God for something, you're not using your faith. And this is what people tell me. Well, I've got enough, you know. I'm very happy with this car I've got and it's paid off. And, you know, my wife and I, we're just very content. No, it's not about you. It's about kingdom purpose. You need to be believing God for Rivers Church and for what we're doing to, to the poor. I mean, through the foundation for the poor and what we're doing as a nation to, uh, as, as a church, sorry, for our nation to build churches and to plant campuses. It's not about us. I've been at an age where I've got a lot of wonderful things in my life. I get to travel. I've got a wonderful home. God's blessed me. We've got a large church, five campuses. We planted out of here to Kalami. 2,000 people meeting, 2,000 adults down the road. You forget that. They were once part of this church, or certainly 1,200 were, of them were. We forget that, but we've got to trust God to keep working, not for us, through us. And if you don't have vision, you won't trust God. So you have to believe for increase. You have to believe for more. And unless you see it, you won't step forward and believe it. I often use this illustration when traveling and talk about the African impala. Do you know the African impala is an amazing animal? You know, it can stand on a spot and just spring up three meters in the air. It's, like, it's almost like it's got springs in its legs, like choo. 
But it can spring not only three meters high, it can shoot nine meters across. Yet you go to the zoo and you see them behind a one meter wall. Do you know why? They won't jump where they can't see. They only jump what they can see. And people are like that. When we've got vision, we will jump over obstacles. But when we haven't got vision, we're behind limitations. Vision. You need it. And you need expectation. What God will do. Hosea chapter 12 and verse 6. Oh, come back to God. Live by the principles of love and justice. I love this. And always be expecting much from Him your God. Hmm? Number six. This is the sixth enemy of faith. Is this helping you today? This is a whole message in itself, eh? Trouble or trials. Trouble or trials can be an enemy of faith. Hardships, difficulties, attacks, pain, sickness, loss. But faith overcomes those. Faith doesn't measure God's goodness by the trials or troubles. Hmm? If there's something in this morning that's happened in your life and you're finding it hard to trust God, don't keep pushing back as though faith were wrong. Keep pushing that thing aside. I know this has happened. I know this is terrible. This affects me on a daily basis. This is plaguing my body or my family or whatever, but faith comes before that. So I move that aside and I, I lay hold of faith. I don't push faith back until there's no more faith and just a huge problem. Are you with me? And trouble or trials will be an enemy of faith. They come to destroy your faith. We need to push through the enemies of our faith. Robert Schuller, the late Robert Schuller said this once. He said, if a blade of grass can grow in a concrete walk and a fig tree in the side of a mountain cliff, a human being empowered with an uh, invincible faith can survive all odds the world can throw against his tortured soul. How many can say amen to that? We need to push through the limitations and often God uses it to try us. Trials and troubles are to test the genuineness of our faith. In 1 Peter 1, 7 uh, Peter says of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, though refined by fine. He goes on to talk about it. He says, saying, your, your faith has been tested by trials. It's not meant to, you're not meant to give up. You're meant to grow muscle. And you're meant to push through, and you're meant to get past it. And you need to recognize that God is not trying to hurt you. He's trying to grow you. As I finish off this point here, the late Ronald Dunn, he was a wonderful Bible teacher and experienced a lot of personal tragedy, so in his books he writes a lot about his personal life. He said, I'm often mystified. I don't understand why it is that I, as I endeavor to live for God and pray and believe, everything seems to be falling apart. Maybe you can relate to that. Sometimes I struggle and I say, dear Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? Then he says, it's good for us to remember that God is not an arsonist, he's a refiner. He's not trying to burn the house down. He's trying to build you up. And so trouble and challenges and trials are there to develop our faith. Recognize the enemies of faith so you can stand against them, not succumb to them. Number two. Can you believe we're at number two after getting to number six? Are you all with me? This is like a science book, eh? Number two. Are you still great? Let's do these quickly. Number, number two is a great thing to remember as you grow your faith. Faith creates a powerful atmosphere around us. I don't know if you realize it, but people of faith have got something about them. When you lack faith, there's, there's, there's this strange atmosphere around you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul describes it. He says, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently 
by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. I love getting around people of faith. They have a smell about them. They see the invisible and believe for the impossible. They look at challenges and say, God can. They look at financial challenges and they say, God will come through. They look at sickness and say, we're trusting God. There's an atmosphere. They lift your spirit when you get around them. They encourage you. They change the tone of everything around you. And uh, they, they, I want to encourage you, guard the atmosphere around your life. Don't let your God down. We've got to keep people believing God, and we've got to keep their faith up. Juan Valera Alcar Galeana. You all know him. No, you don't. He was a Spanish author and diplomat, and he made some profound statements. He said, faith in an all-seeing and personal God elevates the soul, purifies the emotions, sustains human dignity, lends poetry, nobility, and holiness to the commonest state, condition, and manner of life. There's something about faith that when you believe God changes everything and lifts ordinary people from poor backgrounds to another state of nobility. Faith needs to be ever increasing. Number three, the third thing is faith separates, separates the big people from the small people. Small people live in fear. Big people live in faith. Hmm? Small people expect small things. Big people expect big things. And big people, they believe God despite the economy, despite the climate, despite the dangers and the obstacles. Small people, they are not even facing dangers and obstacles, but they imagine them. <laughs> well, I'll ask you this morning, are you a big person or a small person? Because big people and small people can be in the exact same situation, but they see it completely differently. You all know the story in the book of Numbers about the 12 spies that went into the land. Ten of them looked at the situation one way, two of them looked at it another way. In fact, it'd be good for us just to read a few verses here. They come back from going to look and, and looking at the country, looking at South Africa, looking at the economy, looking at the petrol price, looking at ESCOM, looking at the traffic lights, looking at... Are you a big person or a small person? I vacillate sometimes. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But just like so many people, they had a butt. Have you got a big butt this morning? It says, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, in other words, the giants, but I love this. Then Caleb silenced the people. You know what that is? That's, that's Hebrew for shut up. <laughs> he silenced the people before Moses, and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. He had a flavor about him, a fragrance about him. He created an atmosphere that got people going. But there were 10 people who brought the people down. Same situation, same promise of God, different response. Big people versus small people. I'll tell you what will determine big people or differentiate big people from small people. It's like the farmer who was farming potatoes. And uh, he had to take potatoes to, to, to market. But before you could take potatoes to market, you used to have to separate them into, into large, medium, and small. And it took a lot of time, and it was very expensive labor-wise to separate potatoes. So what he did is he came up with this idea. You just put all the potatoes in the back of a big truck, 
and then you drive them on the roughest road. And on the roughest road, what happens is the big potatoes come to the top, the medium potatoes come to the middle, and the small potatoes go right to the bottom. And that is true of life, that when you go on rough roads, the small potatoes usually end up at the bottom. Are you a big person or a small person? Rough roads should lead you to trust God and use your faith and to go into ever-increasing faith, not a shrinking faith. Number four, faith always believes in the goodness of God. That's the one thing that doubt does. It doubts the goodness of God. Remember when the disciples were in the boat and the storm came? What did they say to Jesus? Don't you care if we drown? They doubted the goodness of God. And then he said to them, where is your faith? And we need to understand that God cares for us. We are the sheep of his pasture. We don't have time to read all the scriptures this morning, but we've got to believe in the care and the goodness of God. People of great faith always understood this. How many of you remember George Muller? I've quoted him numerous times. So has Pastor Vilma, the great man in Bristol who opened all those orphanages and uh, ministered to thousands of people, never took a salary, lived by faith, never ever asked, never sent letters out asking for food. And uh, he, he, he fed thousands and thousands of orphans over a period of time, he supported the homeless. And apparently on his desk, he had a little thing. He had a thing on his wall. I've been to the house there, actually looked around it. There was a thing on the wall in, in a frame. I can't remember what it said. But on his desk was a piece of like wood, a wooden sign. And simply as he looked at that sign every single day, it simply says this, it matters to him about you. So he reminded himself every day that God is good, that God is mindful of him, and that God cares. If you're going to grow faith, you've got to believe in the goodness of God. Yes, but I just had an accident. Yes, but they just retrenched me. Yes, my husband just walked out. Yes, my friends betrayed me. Yes, my, my, I have been struck down with a sickness, and now I've got an invalid mother or a husband or a wife. Or a, you, you can look at all that, or you can go, God is still good, and he does good. And goodness of God will increase your faith. People of ever-increasing faith believe in the goodness of God. And lastly, number five, has this helped you today? Faith frees us from vague superstitions. I'm surprised that still in South Africa, the amount of superstition that is woven into people's beliefs, and it doesn't help them, it hinders their faith. We've got to be certain of what we believe, and we've got to be certain that the Bible is the living word of God. And uh, not have vague superstitions. You know, do you, do you believe in Jesus, but you still feng shui with all your furniture so that the energy levels are right? And then when you buy a house, you go in and does it face north or south? I can feel the vibe. I can feel the energy. Ooh, can I turn the bed this way? Well, I can't get into the bedroom, but I've got a feng shui. Really? Do you believe that the planets determine your destiny, the rocks in the sky, that you're going to meet the love of your life? Come on now. Do you believe in palmistry? The people who live in a caravan can tell you about prosperity? <laughs> Come on now. You see, you'll laugh because you don't, we don't think it through. But we read in the magazines all this stuff, and we've got vague superstitions. You know, a lot of people serve a God they don't really know. Faith tells you exactly who God the Father is, who God the Son is, who you are, and where you're going. And we've got to get rid of this because we will serve a vague God who we don't know. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Athens, and 
he's preaching on the Areopagus, that plateau that's in Athens, beautiful place. We just recently sat on a, at a restaurant on top of the roof of the building, overlooking it, and just imagined him preaching up there. It says, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, so you see, it's not insincere, it's devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. You know, you know what superstition is? It's belief without foundation. It's a belief, it's a notion, but it has no foundation. And it kind of clutches at straws, it's, it's vague, but true faith says, I know in whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able We've got to have real faith. And, uh, you know, growing up, I, I don't know if you, I know in America people have rabbit's foot that they buy in the shop. Some people have the evil eye in Italy. You know, you go and travel around Italy and Greece, they've got the evil eye and they try and sell it to you. And it looks very pretty. How many of you remember a man called Donald Campbell? He held the land speed record and the water world record for, for the fastest speed. And he, in 1967, went out onto the water and he's, he was aiming for the, the world record. It was, it was quite, quite an amazing thing, actually. Uh, he reached 482 kilometers now on the water, but then he hit like a ripple and the boat flipped and it basically just disintegrated, it exploded. And uh, they could find no trace. When they sent a boat out, there was just little bits of wood. But what they did find floating was his little bit lucky charm. It's a, a toy stuffed animal called Mr. Whoppet, and he carried that with him to protect him. That was one of four. When they finally went down and found his body and found everything, they found his St. Christopher, which he also had for luck. Then when they went to his house, he'd lift his wallet bind, and his wallet was a four-leaf clover and a 1889 three-penny coin. All four were for luck, but how many of you know superstition cannot save you? Faith saves you. Faith in the person of Jesus is what saves you. And when life goes wrong, we need to be building ever-increasing faith. Because Jesus says he's looking down in Revelation, and he sees our faith, and he, sees, and he says, you're doing better than you did at first. Let's keep growing in our faith. Let's not become weakened in our faith. Let's become people who trust God, that have got an atmosphere around them. Let's be big people, and let's together do great things for God. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 